FBI Radio. It is now time for Down to Earth with Kurt Iverson. Thanks for joining us, Kurt. You're Eddie, back. I'm back. Yes. Better than ever. So if you if this is the first time you've tuned in and you're listening to Down to Earth, Kurt Iverson is from the Geography Center. Is that right? Or is it just from geography? Yeah. He's I from geography. geography. <laughs> from geography. I'm from geography land. Yes. Um, aren't we all? At the University <laughs> of Sydney. And uh, this is a fortnightly chat which we do to talk about how we can make our cities fairer and more sustainable. And this week we're heading into some Black Mirror territory. It's about to get creepy Mm -hmm. and talk about the surveillance in the urban environment. Kurt. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's happening. Apparently right now state and Commonwealth governments are building a vast new surveillance apparatus they are calling... The capability. The capability, right. Which actually, it does sound like something right out of a Black Mirror episode to me, exactly. So its full name is the National Facial Biometric Matching Capability. But all the spooky people are talking about it as the capability. Capability. (laughs) Um, And so what this is, um, is the Commonwealth working together with the states to develop a giant facial recognition database. So what they're planning to do is take all the little biometric images that get taken of us for driver's licenses or for student cards or for passports or whatever, um, and then um, basically putting them all um, in a network where law enforcement agencies from across the country can sort of access all of that stuff and match it against images, for example, that they've accessed from a closed-circuit surveillance TV camera somewhere, as a way of kind of, you know, I guess, starting to identify and do the facial recognition stuff that has been a fantasy of security people for years now um, in everyday life. So I figured, given that this is actually being debated by the parliament right now uh, at the Commonwealth level, but also at the states, it was a good time for us to talk about surveillance in the urban environment more generally. For sure, for sure, because surveillance, surveillance has kind of been one of those things that's been taken for granted um, part of our everyday lives in the city, has it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. It And it's like one of those things that it's amazing how quickly it's become taken for granted. So it was only really in the 1990s that uh, in our urban environment, we started to see councils putting like CCTV cameras around the place. So Perth was the first major city to do it in Australia. And it's really spread all over the place since then. So the urban environment in a city like Sydney now is just saturated with CCTV cameras. Um, they're on the streets, they're in other public spaces, they're inside trains, they're inside buses, they're inside taxis, libraries, shopping malls, shops, blah, blah, blah. They're everywhere, right? So, like, if you're out there listening right now, you should one day in an average week just actually try and pay attention to the number of cameras that you walk past as you're trying to get about your everyday business, right? Going to uni or going to school or going to work or whatever. Um, a group of students did this in London a few years ago who were doing a kind of surveillance studies course and they all just counted on a day how many cameras they walked past and the average for a group of uni students there was over 200 uh, on an average day in London and we're probably not that far off it in Sydney right now actually um, if you're particularly living in sort of inner city areas and um, travelling through central business districts you're walking past dozens of these things. Um, are those cameras, are those the only ways we're being surveillanced? Yeah, that's it. Not really, right? And so you kind of put all the CCTV footage together with all the other infrastructure that ends up surveilling us in our everyday lives. So if you're using an Opal card, 
that's keeping track of your travel pattern. Um, so do the e-tags that you might have in your car. Police cars, when they're driving around the city now, have a camera that is just going all the time, just scooping up the data about the number plates. Um, and then again, every little hit on a number plate gets logged in a database somewhere with the time and the location and where it was. Um, every time we use a debit or a credit card or a loyalty card, it keeps a little record of what we spent it on, um, where we were, what time of day, blah, blah, blah. And of course, anybody that's got a phone, which is pretty much everybody now, um, is leaving a giant sort of data trail behind them. Um, as they move around with their phone switched on. Yeah, I actually just got a text here on 0409-945-945 saying, uncomfortable with facial recognition, even with phones and Facebook. I've actively lurked socials. I don't have an account. I just browse public pages for years due to privacy, but I guess I'll soon have no choice. Yeah, well, that question about choice is something that we'll get into yeah. at some point today because you're right. Like, even when we try and opt out of these things... Um, something like the capability is not really something that we're getting a choice to opt in or opt out of as individuals, right? This is something that the government is opting everybody into effectively. So. Exactly. And and who then can access all this stuff? Yeah. And that's like a super important question, right? So there are different regulations in place for different kinds of information about us. Um, and so generally speaking, like law enforcement folks like the police will need a warrant to request access to data like the CCTV footage that are private company is capturing although they've often got arrangements in place with like councils to have direct access to the cctv stuff um and in some cases to get some of that information they don't need warrants so one of the big controversies we had in new south wales um, a little while ago was about the opal card and the fact that the sort of enabling regulations around that basically said that any Body can request access to that data who's involved in law enforcement, which when you, it's not just the police, it's like about 110 different government agencies that can say that we're enforcing some kind of law who then can request access to the Opal card information about an individual without a warrant. <sighs> so um, it's like, yeah, that question of who's got access is a, is a big one for sure. Um, have you actually had access before you've been to visit one of these cct rooms yeah right? yeah yeah so that's it so i've actually um taken a group of our like urban geography students the city of sydney um operate a network of about 100 and something surveillance cameras around the central business district so they've let us in to just watch them at work and so that's one of the big differences here too right is that some of this surveillance is just the data is being kept and then somebody can try and access it with a warrant afterwards, right? If they're trying to piece together somebody's movements or they're trying to prosecute somebody. But in the meantime, places like the city of Sydney, actually they're monitoring the cameras in real time, right? So they have a control room there where the, there's literally a bank of people sitting down with joysticks. It looks like they're kind of playing a computer game, but actually what they're doing is they're manipulating all the cameras around the central business district um, to zoom in on particular activities. And like, you know, the good trick that they show visitors that they showed us was that they've got a camera right at under the Coke sign on William Street, like around that area. And to show us how powerful the zoom capability on that camera was, they like zoomed up to Hyde Park. And on the screen in front what? of us, we were just watching this couple sitting down having a picnic in Hyde Park, like clear as a high definition TV movie, like from that kind of distance, right? So That's crazy. It's heavy what they can do. And that is heavy. Yeah, and what's very interesting about that is that they obviously say that we've got all these regulations in place about, you know, uh, privacy and how, um, you know, stopping the operators like just focusing in on 
people they find attractive or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so you've got this bank of people watching the screens. Behind them is a bank of cameras watching them <laughs> watch the screens. And also uh, a manager who's like walking around just making sure nobody's doing anything dodgy with it. But so if they suspect something sneaky is going on somewhere, then they can share the live footage with the police. The police can ring them up and say, we've got concerns about something going on in a particular place. Can you focus on a particular area? Da, da, da. So, um, yeah, it's kind of amazing to see that stuff in operation and see how powerful the technology oh, has got. Yeah, I always thought that, that a lot of the cameras were just dodge. Yeah, but no, that, they're, no. They're, they're, they're legit. Like, they're full-on legit things. Right. Um, and so just imagine the power that you have if you can start adding facial recognition um, to the footage either in real time or after the fact um, on a network like that. Speak, speaking of which, the capability. Um, mm. I got another message on 0409-945-945 saying, Hi, Kurt. I've been Hi. back. <laughs> I've been back to cash for a while. Cycle Opal cards. Thinking of going full Japan and wearing a hat, sunnies and surgical mark on the <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, Faraday pouch this- for your phone. That's right. You're going to be... We're going to be serious if you want to avoid this stuff. Will this protect me from the capability? We're going to go to a song and we'll talk about about that that. after this. We've been talking a new uh, surveillance system being rolled out by the, wanting to be rolled out by the Mm -hmm. government called the capability. And we're getting some good texts in on 0409-945-945. Text in as well. Get in on the chat. I've got a few messages here saying... We shall all have to go underground. Brings to mind AI recognition with cyborgs and Skynet monitoring all of us. And this one as well saying, due to the California fires, a statewide live surveillance network will be rolled out for, in quotation marks, safety. What do you reckon, Kurt? Yeah. And look, this is how this stuff creeps into our lives and continues to creep into our lives, right? That when things happen... Um, that are bad things, uh, then we have governments and particularly the sort of private surveillance industry that we'll talk about later saying, well, look, this stuff is just for your own safety, right? So if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, it's all good. Um, And so for the supporters of these kind of surveillance systems, so long as there are checks and balances in place, a little bit of loss of individual privacy is a small price to pay for all the enhanced safety and security that they promise these systems will deliver. So these checks and balances are pretty important then? Yeah, yeah. So that's the first big set of issues when we're trying to interrogate something like the capability, which is to ask some questions about those checks and balances. So questions like who's going to have access to all the surveillance data and the biometric database of our faces? What are the conditions in which they can access that information? Um, so how can they get their hands on it? What purposes can it be used for? Who's got the power to aggregate data from different sources? All those little things can add up. Um, there's another set of questions like about how secure the data is and whether it could easily be hacked or accessed by people who aren't meant to have it. And we see that happening constantly in the corporate world um, and sometimes in government too. Um, and another thing, I guess, is just about whether we all know that we're being surveilled when we have our passport photo taken or that we have our driver's license taken, do we have any idea that that photo is not just being used by the Roads and Traffic Authority, for instance, but that it's now being shared with police and immigration and social security and all sorts of other government agencies? Um, So they're all super big questions. Um, 
and they've all been raised. There's a whole bunch of really interesting submissions into the parliamentary inquiry, into the capability that you can check out from places like the Privacy Commission and the Human Rights Commission who've got some really big concerns about the big overreach in the legislation right now that basically just almost gives the minister the power to like change the regulations once they're enforced to say, actually, we're going to access new stuff now because I think that's important, not just facial recognition, but other biometric data and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think there's also beyond that stuff, there's just some even deeper questions we could get into. Shall we go deep? What are these questions? Let's do it. Let's go deeper. So <laughs> I actually think one of the things that um, some of the submissions have raised and that some of the research, academic research into this stuff is showing is that there are just big questions about whether these surveillance systems actually reinforce different kinds of discrimination and bias that already exist in our societies, um, like racism. So um, that was really apparent when I went to the control room, not that I saw that in action, but when you ask the people that are operating CCTV cameras what they're doing, they say, well, we're trying to prevent crime or just catch people after the fact. And you say, well, how does that work? And it's like, well, we're just kind of monitoring the environment for stuff that looks shifty. And then you ask, okay, well, how do you know what looks shifty? And it's like, oh, it's just a feel thing, you know? You get a, you get a feel for it. And it's like, <laughs> far out, man. Like, we just know all the research about, like, what looks shifty to some people is actually a group of teenage kids who are probably maybe doing nothing, but, you know. That's why they can zoom they look, all the way in on Hyde yeah, Park. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> Um, so, you know, all those biases can so easily be sort of reinforced from, um, you know, from that. But even the algorithms that do the facial recognition, there's some really interesting research coming out of the UK talking about how fallible that is, right? That the facial matching software is often not Terrible. as good as you think it is. Um, and actually, some of the research showing that it's less reliable in matching the facial features of people from ethnic minorities and women um, when they've applied it in uh, pilots in places like South Wales. So you just think, well, all right, awesome. So the computers can have biases built into them too because they're coded by human beings that have biases and have you know discrimination, etc. So that's one of the big things we can get into. Um, you're, are you also not sure about I mean, obviously, if you're seeing these things, you're not sure that these CV CCTV even makes our city safer. Yeah. And that's like another big question is that like safety um, is all about like perceptions. Siri just popped up on my phone oh, with CCTV. See? Well, <laughs> see, never mind biometrics. It's like I just got asked to do voice matching when I called the tax office about something yesterday mm. as well. They're like, can we keep a record of your voice so that we can put it in a database? Anyway. Hi, Siri. Um, so what was I saying? Um, yeah, so safety. So the other thing is, as you texted was saying before, it's all promised to make us safe. But like, it's another great example of how actually there are different ways and different things that make us feel safe. Um, CCTV can be good for what I would maybe call security operations, which is that if a crime happens, the footage can be helpful in finding people who did stuff. But if you're on a train station platform in the burbs, at like midnight on a weeknight, does a camera actually make you feel safe or mm. would a guard on the platform make you feel safe, right? So um, we've just had a big dispute about this in New South Wales recently where the government was proposing to take guards off trains um, and commuters and the staff were saying, well, actually, it's great that you've got cameras in all the carriages, but like it's not the same as having actual people who are there, not security guards even, but just human beings yeah, that exactly. are 
caring for a place, you know, and that stuff is what makes us feel safe. Having other people around us, other human beings, yeah. <laughs> rather than just being in a windswept spot that then has a camera on a pole. Um, and again, um, that stuff, I think, is really important when we're talking about rolling out all this surveillance and all the promises of safety. Do you, do you think that all these surveillance has a political consequence as well? Yeah. And that, like, again, like when we're getting into all the issues, the idea that there's kind of what people in the world would call sort of chilling effects as well from surveillance is something that we really should take seriously. And again, that sort of idea that if you've done nothing wrong, you've got nothing to fear from surveillance is really easy for somebody to toss out there who's maybe never been on a protest march or who's never tried to do something that contests a government or a you know state authority. Um, but for those of us who have been involved in some of those things, um, yeah, the idea that, again, it's already happening, that every time we turn up to a protest, there are cops there with video cameras who are now going to be taking the still shots that they get from the protest and have access to a database where they can match facial recognition-wise um, with all the photos from the passports and the driver's license and start actually being able to name people who are at protests. You know, like, that might start discouraging people from, from exercising their legitimate political rights in a society to try and make things different. And so, yeah, there's all those kind of things as well. That laws of not being able to protest on said land. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's another discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and when we talk about costs, there are also financial and environment costs. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like, that's another thing that in all the debates about privacy, sometimes I think we forget. So just quickly on that. Like the New South Wales government alone is about to spend $56 million over the next four years developing the capability. Now, where's all that money going? There's a whole bunch of private companies selling all this technology that are profiting from all this massive expansion of surveillance technology um, in our cities and our country. Um, and we ought to be asking some questions about that industry. And it's kind of almost not quite like the arms industry or whatever, but they're obvious, often connected and they're talking up fear they're talking up threat to try and sell a product mm. um, to a government that is spending tens of millions and the other thing about all the surveillance that like hardly ever gets discussed but really should is we've talked on down to earth before about the massive growth of emissions from the internet and the cloud right that all this data that gets stored um doesn't sit in a nice fluffy cloud it actually sits in a data center somewhere running computers that get very hot that need to be cooled down um, and kept cool. And the emissions from the international data center industry right now are about the same as the emissions from international air travel. And they're growing. So actually, we've got to start asking some serious questions about like all this digital data that's been captured and stored and um, how long we're storing it for, et cetera, et cetera, and the environmental costs of that too. Definitely. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I, have a, I have a... Sorry, my eyes were over to the screen because I have a text saying... I have a text on 0409945945 saying, good morning. There are reports China has this and use it to give so-called credit and demerit points to you. If you do something wrong, it can affect you if you apply for a loan or housing. Yeah, it's a really important point, texter, hello. Um, because one of the things when the New South Wales minister who's responsible for this was questioned about it, he said, oh, it's not as though we're going to use it to catch jaywalkers. Uh, and he was referring to an instance where there is a pilot going on in China right now of a so-called social credit scheme where all of this data is kind of put together and literally the government is taking stuff about your spending patterns, um, your movements through an environment, blah, 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 putting it all together, developing individual profiles and kind of giving you a rating about what kind of citizen you are. And one example of how they're using that is that there are digital screens where 
people who have jaywalked have had their photo taken. It's been matched to a facial recognition database, so then we know who it is, and then their picture and their identity is blasted on <laughs> a billboard, Shame. and they're being publicly shamed for jaywalking, right? So the funny thing is, like, the government here would say, oh, of course, we would never do that, but it's exactly the same technology that's being used <laughs> in China to do what they're doing that we're proposing to introduce here, and so that's, again, why these checks and balances and the legislation around it matter so much. Thanks for texting in, Joe. And, Kurt, I have one more question for you. Mm. What do we do? What do we do? <laughs> yeah, well, look, I think there's two sets of things. Now, one, I know somebody was sort of texting in saying, am I supposed to now, like you know, keep swapping my Opal cards over and not registering them, wearing mm. hats and sunglasses. Like, so, you know, there's all things that we can try and do individually to actually monitor how much data we're leaving behind us. Put your phone in a Faraday pouch, like whatever it's going to be, right? But like, um, there's all the things that you can do as an individual, but actually you can't opt out of some of this stuff individually. It's incredibly difficult. So we've actually got to start acting collectively on some of these things as well, which is why like paying attention to this legislation right now and going and maybe looking it up and supporting some of the politicians who are actually trying to ask critical questions about it. So in New South Wales, um, the Greens and David Shoebridge have been really active in trying to ask some critical questions about it. The Labor government in ACT has been really good and trying to ask critical questions about it and not just saying we're going to participate. So I think sort of getting informed and supporting some of the collective action to make the laws a bit tougher here um, around what data is collected and who has access to it is also super important. Um, thank you so much, Kurt. I have one thing to go off the last point that you were mentioning about mm. the, the waste Cause oh, yeah. from all of this, I have a little, I have a little tip for anyone that has any e-waste. Oh, <laughs> what a segue! You're a, such a pro. While we're here, um, if you have any, if you want to recycle any unwanted electronics, um, at it's the city's e-waste drop-off day this weekend. So items that are accepted are TVs, laptops, printers, small household appliances, home office equipment, power tools, CDs, DVDs, and more. Saturday, twenty-fourth of November. 9am to 3pm, Sydney Park Depot, 38 to 54 Baron Park Road, Alexandria. And if you want details of that, go to whatson.sydney and search for e-waste, which is an important thing. Super important. Keep that e-waste out of the regular waste stream. Yes. It's a big deal. Thank you so much, Kurt. Hey, thank you for having me, Eddie. All right. Always well, fun. Always fun. We'll be speaking to you real soon. Yeah. All right. See ya. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.